Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today on Lime Ninja Radio. So, what what is liver? We, we know it's high in retinol. It's ridiculously high in retinol, but it's also high in copper. People think it's an iron organ. It's not. It's got twice as much copper as it has iron. This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily or even weekly gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 188 with the founder of the Magnesium Advocacy Group, Morley Robbins. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio and back from her world tour, Aurora. Ohio. <laughs> Hello. And in this episode, you will learn how both organic and inorganic iron are absorbed in the body, why most of the food we eat today isn't as nutritious as it was 50 years ago, and why retinol has been removed from the standard American diet. So you didn't go to Ohio. No, but that's how you say hello in Japanese. In Japanese. Well, good morning, good I morning. should say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, you were in Japan and Korea. Yes. We miss you terribly. Welcome back. Thank you. It's not the same without you. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't send too much hate mail. <laughs> oh, good. Thank goodness. As you all know, and Aurora, because she's a world traveler, Lyme disease is an international problem. And each week we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week, we had listeners from Chile all the way to Canada and from Spain to Switzerland. Also, a big thank you to all you longtime Lime Ninjas. Aurora and I really appreciate you listening. And we'd like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome to Lime Ninja Radio. We are glad you tuned in. And speaking of tuning in, this week our top 10 tune-in cities are... Starting at number 10, Gainesville, Florida. Number nine, Viroqua, Wisconsin. Viroqua. I don't know. Is that French? It could be Viroqua or something like that, right? It could be. Anyway. Uh, number eight, I get the easy one, Washington, D.C. Number six, seven, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Number six, Seattle, Washington. Number five, Situate, Massachusetts. Number four, Los Angeles, California. Number three, New York, New York. Number two, Bettendorf, Iowa. And number one, still, we must have a little fan club going out there, is Mulcateo, Washington. 
Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, please share this interview with a friend. And if you really like what we're doing, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really, really, really like what we're doing, consider becoming a Lime Ninja patron. Just head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the Patreon link. All right, Aurora, enough business. Tell us a little bit more about today's guest, Morley Robbins. Morley had been a hospital executive and consultant for 32 years until he developed a condition called frozen shoulder, which opened his eyes to the power of natural medicine and set him on a path of becoming an expert in the interplay between magnesium, copper, and iron. Through his magnesium advocacy group, he is committed to educating as many people as possible about the importance of iron toxicity and how magnesium and copper help regulate the well-being of everybody. Thanks, Aurora. Welcome back. And here's our interview with Morley Robbins. All right. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you. Good. How about you? I need two of me, okay? I'm just so, like, on fire right now. <laughs> Learned a lot in the last, well, since we've last talked. Learned just tons, and I, I sent you a deck. I don't you probably didn't have a chance to really go through it. No, I went through it. I'd have to say that uh, I would like to have you sitting on my shoulder to explain some of the slides, though. Well, <laughs> you can plan on that. And I'm going to be doing that, that um, some version of that I'll be doing in um, Hershey in November. Beautiful. Yeah. And um, basically, the gist of it is we've been hoodwinked about vitamin D. We need more retinol. And retinol's role in our body is a thousand times more important than we're being led to believe. So that's kind of the, the thumbnail uh, description of it. Right, and the whole retinol versus beta carotene and all that nonsense too, correct? Right, and the, and the thing, the part that, again, I'm an enzyme guy and a, a mineral guy, I find out what's the key, what's the mineral key to make these enzymes work? Well, you know, um, the beta-carotene monooxygenase enzyme that converts beta-carotene into retinol, it's copper-dependent. Once again, there it is, huh? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And, and then the, the real blockbuster um, breakthrough was, again, this is from 1987, Barber and Cousins at the University of Florida in Gainesville very clearly demonstrated that retinol and I, I don't recall whether it was all trans-retinoic acid, or I would assume it was, because that's the active form. But that metabolite is essential to load copper into ceruloplasmin, so it can express as the ferrooxidase enzyme. Think that might be important? Just a wee bit. And so, if we have this rising tide of iron which we know has been taking place for the last 75 years because they've been adding it to the food system and they've been methodically taking retinol out of our food system since President Eisenhower had a heart attack in 1955. So we've got 
60 years of retinol deficiency. And there's a study at the Journal of, of um, British Journal of Nutrition that profiles the 80% loss of copper from the soil from 1908 to 2000. Well, then we begin to triangulate on those three events alone, and it begins to make more sense about why everyone has rising oxidative stress, rising uh, SNPs, and rising dysfunction. And can does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely, that makes sense. And can I ask you, a, a, this is an opinion question, I'm sure. I don't think there's an answer yet to it. So in something like taking an elemental form of copper or or, or magnesium or anything like that, are we better off amending the soil and letting the plants figure out how to bring that up and then eating the plants from a properly uh, cared-for soil, a properly balanced soil? Or you know, or, or the, the supplements, you know, can our body handle the, the supplement? That's an outstanding question. Um, let's just focus on the three that I seem to know the most about. I think, I think magnesium is readily usable either from plants or from properly chelated supplements. And again, magnesium uh, has a plus two valence, and it seems to bind well with a variety of of other ligands like um, chloride ions or sulfate or the, the, the chelators that are very often used malate or or glycinate or orotate or whatever. So there seems to be compelling evidence that even in a, um, if we can call it a synthetic form, the, the magnesium that gets delivered is still absorbed. It's very different, though, when we get to these metals, copper and iron. So let's deal with iron. The Again, they started adding, let's back up a step. In 1934, three physicians, three MDs, shared the Nobel Prize for medicine for curing anemia and pernicious anemia, and they all used the same product. This is Drs. Whipple, Minot, and Murphy. you have any guess what that product might have been? Uh, just for the time frame, I would guess cod liver oil. It was actually beef liver. Beef liver. Ah, close, close. Close. Yeah, very close. So what, what is liver? We, we know it's high in retinol, ridiculously high in retinol, but it's also high in copper. Uh, People think it's an iron organ. It's not. It's got twice as much copper as it is iron. The the spleen's the iron organ. Yeah, exactly. Very well. Very well said. And so... Seven years after that, I think that's a historic event, 1934, share the Nobel for curing, not not treating, curing anemia and pernicious anemia with beef liver. Seven years later, in the English-speaking countries, UK, Canada, United States, and arguably Australia, but the evidence isn't as clear there. But in 1941, they started adding iron to the food system. And you'd say, well, that's okay. It's, it's got to be organic iron, right? Yeah, no. no. Inorganic iron. And so the, the iron that we absorbed the best is called heme iron. 
that's found in, in meats, right? And so <clears throat> inorganic iron is absorbed even higher than that. Oh, really? Absolutely. And so <clears throat> we are we are absorbing we don't we don't even know how much we're absorbing, but the the iron that comes from plants is typically complex with other nutrients, cofactors, ligands, so that it's it's more usable in the body. Or organic organic iron is always bound to something. Always. Because it's so highly reactive. Right. Mother Mother Nature is never gonna just say, well, here's some inorganic iron and good luck. Yeah, there's always going to be a, a binding agent of some sort. So that um that is a, a significant piece of the puzzle for people to realize that yes, you know, they everyone loves to tell you what they don't eat. You know, I'm gluten free, sugar free, soy free, whatever, dairy free. And I'm picturing that they're eating ice. And so <laughs> they, they they've forgotten that that their ancestors lived on bread and cheese and milk and eggs. You know, going back two hundred years ago, we didn't have we didn't have you know, Seven um, Eleven or or all these fast food franchises or whatever. It's just we had to grow our own. So the whole sense of of what's normal has been changed. Well, then we come to copper. Copper is an amazing mineral, and let let's put it into context for folks. That in a healthy human being, you need ninety milligrams of copper, which is a whisper. You need five thousand milligrams of iron. And you need 25,000 milligrams of magnesium. That's to have normal physiology. So what do we conclude from that? So is that in a daily intake? That no, it's just normal normal stores in the okay, body. Okay, that, so that's what's in the body. Okay, I just misunderstood there. Okay. No. Um, yeah, if you had 5,000 milligrams a day of iron. Yeah, I was thinking that. You, I didn't understand. <laughs> so, um, so we've got these three minerals. They're completely different in terms of their levels. So what do we conclude? Well, copper's really smart, and magnesium's really important, and iron's really toxic because it can undermine both copper and magnesium. So one of my students, who's a, a small grain a farmer out in California, uh, David Crusoe, really bright guy, knows minerals. I mean, just he has it at a, at a working level. He's just so aware of what's going on. He sprays his soil. He grows um, barley and radishes, but he sprays his soil with copper sulfate. Hmm. That's a plus two form of copper. Okay, and the, the the microbiome of the soil, the bacteria in the soil, they they break that down so that the plants can absorb the plus one form. And then that gets into the plants and into the the, uh, the barley and the radishes, and it, and it influences what's called the BRICS, B-R-I-X. I'm familiar with that, yeah. yeah the measurement, BRICS. yep. Yep, and that's what gives the, the vegetation its vitality, is yep. the BRICS content. Well, so essentially, just for people, BRICS is a measurement they do, and you you, you crush up a plant. And you put it in this little viewer, and you take a look at it, and it gives you a, how much density, uh, how much nutrition 
uh, aside from the, the fibers or, or the plants. So it's a scale of kind of dissolved solids, and that's kind of uh, an yeah. idea of what the BRICS is. Beautiful uh, description. Um, but the, the, the downside is farmers are not paid on BRICS content. No. Volume, 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 volume. Volume, right. So he says that that his buddies use iron sulfate and manganese sulfate. They don't care. They just they just spray the soil. And then we then we find out that, that what are they using as an antifungal? They're spraying the leaves of the plants with copper sulfate. But the leaves can't break down the copper because they don't have the bacteria that are found in the soil. And that's adding to the confusion of our body is that we need to be absorbing it in a plus copper in a plus one state, and then the body knows what to do with it to support, you know, multi-copper oxidases and different enzyme functions that are absolutely copper dependent, but they don't respond well to copper in the plus two state. It's the plus one state. And that's where a lot of the confusion is, is where do we add these nutrients, especially like copper? Well, copper needs to be added to the soil. And then the soil, the soil knows what to do with it so that the plant can actually use it. And so that if an animal, a cow, that we're trying to get the beef liver from, if it's eating grass, that's amazing if the, if, if the grass is being grown properly. You know, um, Joel Salatin, I'm sure you're familiar with, out in, in um, Virginia, he considers himself, I'm just a humble grass farmer. Right. And he grows the, the healthiest grass probably on the planet, and he wants to create a salad for his animals. And you've, I'm sure you've seen that video where he's sitting down in the, in the pasture, and he's just picking up different grasses to show people what a beautiful um, smorgasbord of vegetation that his animals are eating. Well, that's, again, that's all lost. And so we're, we think that getting a beef liver from a grain-fed cow is the same as beef liver from a grass-fed cow. And again, it, you, it, the expression, you are what you eat, no. You are what you eat, eats, no. You are what you assimilate of what you eat, eats. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the refinement of what's really going on inside our body. And, and what I'm coming to realize is that this uh, vitamin that we're being trained, like circus bears, to think is a toxicant, vitamin A, is in fact one of the most important and most powerful nutrients that we can have in our regular diet. I know you're familiar with Chris Masterjohn and his work with vitamin A and vitamin D and other fat-soluble vitamins. And his contention is simply that the vitamin A, quote-unquote, toxicity is simply an imbalance of uh, the vitamin A and vitamin D. And if you take them again, like you're saying, as nature intended, you're not going to have that problem. Exactly. Yeah. And I, what was interesting is I spent the morning um, with, with some research on, on uh, retinol, looking at the downside of it, getting back to what you're saying with, with Chris Masterjohn. It turns out that there's a lot of research out there that starts in the late 80s. You know, people have to really understand that this, that things changed in 1984. There was a shift in funding for big pharma research, went from the government to 
big pharma was funding itself. People don't seem to know that. So suddenly the the um, the fox is, you know, guarding the, the hen house, and the what I I affectionately refer to the researchers now as they're carnival barkers, and they're moving these walnut shells so quickly, and you're trying to find where's the pea, where's the pea, and they're really good at shifting the focus, and you're you're, you're left totally confused and befuddled. Well, it, it turns out that as it relates to the toxicity of retinol, that its toxicity is completely attenuated. I, I love those words that they use. Why didn't they just say stopped? It's completely stopped um, when you have a metal chelator. So one study that I found, McKay, this is absolutely fascinating. It was a study of lipid peroxidation in diabetic rats. Well, right out of the blocks, you say, wait a minute, these these rats are not normal. They're diabetic. I mean, there's something wrong with their body, right? Right. And, and when so, you and the other thing to know for people to know, f- first of all, uh, lipid peroxidation means the breakdown of lipids. So that could be a cell wall. That could be anything within. Essentially, the, the, the rat's body is being eaten alive from the inside. Damage is being done. And the second thing is uh, a rat with diabetes is a genetically modified rat. They don't naturally get diabetes and they don't give it to them through lifestyle. So this is exactly what you're saying. It's a genetically modified animal to begin with. Okay, so now that we've got that covered, you and I understand this, but just want to make sure everybody else does. I'm glad you're clarifying, because, again, it's very easy to be confused by the carnival barker outside of the tent. (laughs) It's it's incredible what's going on. And so so let's pause here. Let's pause here one more second before (laughs) we get into this. Now, so you're describing those carnival barkers. Okay, I can I can get on board with that. Are are they useful idiots to use the Russian communist phrase from a while back? Or are they the evil behind everything? I, I think that's a great question. I don't I don't know that there's a good answer. I think it's a spectrum. Okay, And I think there are people at both ends of the spectrum. Fair enough. Yeah, well, just I think though my my colleague Ben Edwards, uh, physician over in Lubbock, Texas, has a beautiful expression. He said, "Morley, they're just unintended consequences." Yeah, always. And, and we'll and we'll leave it that water is at the halfway mark, and we'll let the listeners decide: is it half empty or half full? We're just saying there's unintended consequences in this research, and your clarification of these are genetically modified is profoundly important. And your further clarification is that lipid peroxidation, what's that? It's a, it's a stupid way of saying fat is rusting. Yes. And, and what's, what is each cell surrounded by? Two layers of fat. And every part of our body is surrounded by fat. And people need to know that that's really, it's the life force. It's where the energy is stored is in that bilipid two layers of fat membrane. That's a really important concept for people to have in their head that there's energy being stored. And what's the biggest battery in our body? It's called the liver. And it's the biggest source of retinol in the body. And that's where the charge is supposed to be stored in our bodies, in our liver. And people people don't understand that. And so in this experiment with these genetically modified diabetic rats, they discovered that that they were looking at the contraction and the relaxing of aortic rings. So we're getting down into the real cellular activity of things like 
um, um, acetylcholine and phenylephrine, which I don't even begin to understand, but they're but the the phenylephrine causes contraction and acetylcholine allows for relaxation. That's very important. It's a very foundational process in our body. Well, they discovered that neither retinol nor insulin alone was able to modify the effect of hydrogen peroxide to those two uh, substrates. But when they put them together, they discovered that everything went back to normal, even in the face of hydrogen peroxide, which is what causes the lipid peroxidation, the, the fat rusting. It's hydrogen peroxide. And so then what you find out is that when you, when you chelate metals, the active form of retinol, called all-trans retinoic acid, and it's a blockbuster element, it, it doesn't cause the oxidation that people are so worried about with retinol. So then I'm thinking, well, back in the 1940s, they referred to copper as an insulin mimetic. It's a, it's a surrogate for insulin. Copper is a surrogate for insulin. It's fascinating when you start to think about what the implications are of copper in that situation. Then we come to these diabetic rats, and it di didn't work unless insulin was present. Here's what I'm beginning to think, McKay. I think insulin chelates iron so the potassium can get in the cell to break down the sugars. It's a completely different way of thinking about insulin. And, and I know for a fact that insulin's primary job is to help get potassium into the cell. It's not this idea that it's, oh, you needed to get the sugar in. That's a, a post-1984 distortion of reality. And so it begins to raise some very interesting questions about what is really behind the assault on, on retinol as a toxicant. And there's, this, there's a, a guy named uh, D. Olivieri. Uh, he writes an article in, in 2015 called Vitamin A and Retinoids as Mitochondrial Toxicants. I'm like, what? Come on, dude. You know, you're, you're totally distorting reality. And then I'm quickly reminded of uh, Dean Murphy who wrote a wonderful book. He's a dentist. He wrote a wonderful book on fluoride and fluoride, the devil's poison. And when he first started researching it in response to a patient's request that he do so, um, he quickly learned that fluoride was both poison and the second coming. And he said, it can't be both. You can't have something be at polar opposites at the same time. And that's what led him to really delve into 10 years of research, which led to that book. And his conclusion was clear that it was a poison. Well, I think what we're witnessing is that in a similar way, back the, the first recorded use of, of retinol in cod liver oil was by a, um, a London physician. His name was Theopolis. Thompson, he was a mem member of the Royal Society, which gives you a sense of how important he was, and he cured anemia with cod liver oil, 1855. And then there are 
countless studies that were done after that. And then we come to a, a blockbuster study that's in that deck that I shared with you of Hodges et al. in 1978 did a definitive study of exactly how retinol increases the production of hemoglobin even on the heels of iron supplementation. And in fact, what happens is heavy metals will cause the body to produce red blood cells. It, it's, it's just an, an axiomatic reaction. Well, they in the turn of the century, they used arsenic. And then they realized, well, maybe that's not a good idea. And so then they turned to iron, which was probably not even any better. But again, iron is another heavy metal that causes a rise in hemoglobin, but it's short-lived. It's only for a matter of weeks. And then the, then the hemoglobin production collapses again. And then what Hodges did... You need another hit. You need another hit, exactly. And what Hodges did was then he introduced retinol. And suddenly the hemoglobin factory took off like a rocket. And it's very clear in the, in the chart that I sent you that that is, in fact, the, the true metabolic requirement is you got to have retinoic acid. And it, and it gets very... Um, we're getting into some very subtle biochemistry and physiology, but the fact of the matter is retinol has been methodically taken out of our diet over the last 60 years. And we thought the fight was over cholesterol. Oh, you've got to have a low-fat diet. And so for two generations, we've stopped eating fat. People are terrified of fat. I know, it's awful. It's awful. It, it, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's tragic. And so, you know, these, these children are being born to low-fat moms, and they think that they're, they're doing their, their child a favor. And again, it's, it's just a generational demise of the physiology. And the fight was never about cholesterol. We, we did, you know, it took, what, from 1955 to, what is it, 2016, when um, uh, um, David Diamond and, and colleagues studied a, where they published a pretty definitive article that cholesterol is not the problem, and that was just just a couple of years ago. Um, that's never been the fight. Everything was hiding behind this this whole issue of retinol, and now what? What do we have? We have an entire generation that's sucking down hormone D, not knowing that it's killing the retinol status of their eyes, and their liver, and their body. And, and again, as you noted a few minutes ago, Mother Nature has these, these nutrients in a proper balance. But what's the balance inside cod liver oil? When you go back, back to the origin of its use, there was 10 times more retinol than vitamin D. Always. And it was natural forms of it. And, and this idea that retinol palmitate, which is a test tube form of it, is the same thing as all transretinoic acid made by Mother Nature. It's like, we've got to stop thinking like that. Yeah, and, and that's one thing. I know people out there are thinking, okay, I'm going to you know talk about my cod liver oil, and maybe I'm getting it from this source or that source. Many of the commercial cod liver oils are supplemented with synthetic vitamin A to Absolutely. boost their... because the way that they extract the oil from the cod livers is uh, breaks it down 
So in order to get the amount or to have it standardized that they'll add in the synthetic. And you, it's just one of those pernicious things is so much of the food that we eat is, is no longer food. It's just a, it's a shadow, a chimera of what was 50, 100 years ago. And it, they have the same names, but they're zombie. It's zombie foods. That's just stuck on it's zombie foods. That's a great idea. Zombie foods. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so, you know, here, here are just some, some areas where all trans retinoic acid has a particularly important role. Again, it's, in the literature, it's little a, little t, capital R, capital A. And what does it do? It loads copper into ceruloplasm so we can have ferrooxidase enzyme. That's, that's a pretty significant event. It, um, I think your guest that you just had, uh, Dr. Kelly Haldeman. Yes. Uh, we spent the weekend together at the Bob Miller conference, and she sent me an article yesterday, an abstract, about all trans retinoic acid um, stopping the synthesis of the IgE response. Huh. I mean, it's, that's, a, that's a rather significant yeah. Vitamin, um, vitamin A is a huge player in regulating the immune system. Absolutely. What do you think it's doing? It's, it's helping to manage iron. Yeah. It is also helping to manage. Um, it's, it's, it's a chain-breaking antioxidant. So when you and I use the term lipid peroxidation, referring to fat rusting, it, there's a whole series of oxygens that could potentially get rusty, right? Yeah. And, it's a, and it happens very rapidly in that cell membrane, or wherever the membrane happens to be. Well, all transretinoic acid stops that. It, it prevents it from happening. It enables us to have vision. Why? Because it allows us to convert, you know, light energy into vision. And we we don't even think about that. We just assume that 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 it's just happening. We don't think about the the physics and the physiology behind vision, or the or the fact that blue light that we're being exposed to at, at outrageous proportions with our phones and our computers and our TV screens. That blue light is the start of ionizing radiation. Well, what does that mean? Well, ionizing radiation means that it's making hydrogen peroxide. And hydrogen peroxide is not your friend. And so we're, we're, we're exposing ourselves to light energy from our devices that's causing us to increase the amount of hydrogen peroxide, which is causing us to have a greater need for retinol. But we're in bodies that are consuming vitamin D because we're, we're supplementing to a number, not understanding the physiology of it. And what is that vitamin D doing? It's increasing our sensitivity to hydrogen peroxide. Not, not a lot of people know about that research. Um, and so the, 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 what I find one of the more entertaining uh, roles that all trans retinoic acid plays is it's really important to help enable key receptors, RAR and RXR, to modulate genetic expression. One of the most important that, it, that is, uh, I think, very um, popular is the vitamin D receptor. People are all 
pepped up about how much they know about the vitamin D receptor. Yeah, the VDR, yeah. The VDR, but it doesn't work without RXR. If the retinoic acid um, receptor, the RXR, is not present, VDR doesn't work, period. And the, and the guy that brought that to my attention is Jim uh, Stevenson, uh, Jr., who runs the Seco uh, Steroid Hormone D Facebook group. He's all over this. And he's very clear that, that there's a lot of deception and disinformation. Those are words that begin with the letter D. <laughs> uh, as it relates to this research and this, this abundance of need for this metabolite, people, what people don't realize is that there are carnival barkers sharing this research. Maybe they're idiot savants. You know, who knows? But the important thing is, is people need to be a lot more aware of the historical research to know the legacy of research that goes with retinol, not the, the um, modern, contemporary, latest, you know, it's only three nanoseconds old research that says that vitamin D conquers all. Because that's, that's all not, that's just not true. I just recently subscribed to an email uh, list that's called uh, Retraction Watch. And these, one is a reporter and the other is a scientist. And they've started an organization trying to keep track of all the different retractions and fraud going on in scientific medicine. And it, it is definitely one of those areas. It's kind of like the loss of the topsoil. It's the loss of scientific in, uh, uh, integrity right. has accelerated like crazy. And again, unintended consequences, who knows? Funding the schools, who knows what's exactly driving it? But right. there's great temptation for scientists, and there's not a lot of oversight to put out falsif sometimes literally falsified. Like there's a case recently of a cancer researcher who had a hundred samples of blood who happened just to be all her own blood rather than a hundred. <laughs> so outright fraud at these people, you know, doing. So you start, you, you start having some of these out there and they become, if it's an important paper, it becomes a node. And then these papers get cited hundreds, thousands, well, hundreds of times usually as a basis for another study. That's and, right. and, and it, and it layers up and what, what these scientists are trying to duplicate this research. And really that's what science is, is you have to be able to duplicate it. If you're just coming out and saying, right. Oh, this is what's so let's move on to the next thing. It's kind of like Elon Musk. He's on to the next thing before his first thing collapses and he's layering so much stuff on top of each other. You know, who, who maybe he'll be successful in something, but it's collapsing underneath him. So science is that way. So this idea of going back and relying on verified and old strains of research it's so very important because the new stuff is uh, there's a lot of froth there and the cream has not risen to the top yet especially when you see a headline especially when you see sometimes the headline has nothing to do at all with what the actual research even says and that's just the pr stuff let alone the fraudulent side of things so it's just th this idea that y you have to be really careful Science, it, it's a process, and it's not done. So you don't you don't want to be on the bleeding edge, you, yeah. you know, especially no, when your health is is concerned. If you're a researcher, fine, you can live out there and try to discover something new. But if you're trying to base health decisions on this stuff, it's like buyer beware. 
Right. I to- totally agree with you. And the thing is, people have been trained, again, like circus bears. We are, if this is a circus, okay, I'm telling you, we're, we're, we're inside and outside the tent all the time. And, and the, the presentation that I sent you is called the Three Ring Circus of Iron Metabolism. It's, it's a mind-boggling concept. But this idea is that if it's, if it's three nanoseconds old, it must be good. Because it's the latest thing. It's thinking. the latest, yeah. Right. And in fact, what, what you and I clearly agree on, and, and I'm sure there's a large community that would agree with this as well, is actually, let's go back to Theopolis um, Thompson. Let's ask him from 1855. What led him to conclude that? And, and what, why were they calling copper an insulin mimetic in the 1940s? You know, why did, why did Merck in 1942, why were they experimenting with B5 that had copper in it? They wanted to see what happened when they took copper out of it. It's, again, it's in the literature. And then the, what, what did Merck do? They created a patented form of B5 called calcium D pantothenate. And all supplements that have B5, it's, it's got that registered trademark, calcium D-pantothenate. So we can't even get to the copper form of it anymore. That's an interesting thought. And so a lot of these, if you don't, if you don't have the awareness of the legacy of research, then you get very narrow and biased information. Um, I, I can't recall the name of the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, but I think it was just in the last few years, they, re- they resigned after being the editor for like 20 years because they couldn't stand the, the hypocrisy and the deception that was taking place in the research. It, there's some famous quote by, by the, uh, uh, this, this former editor, and I, I haven't found it yet, but, but the point is, there is a growing awareness, and, and you're talking about the site uh, Retraction Watch, which sounds fascinating. People just need to be more aware that there's more to the story than the contemporary message. And the fact that it's showing up on the internet should be the first cause for pause. <laughs> you know? Go into the go into the scientific research. Spend the time, spend the money. I mean, I've I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars getting the actual research and then going into the research of their footnotes to find out what are, what are some other people saying. Right. That's, that's what's allowed me to have a slightly different view, because it's, it's so important that people realize that it's, it's not as simple and as straightforward as we are being led to believe. One of my favorite slides in your deck is the shadow slide. So there's the slide, and there's, it's, it's a cor- <laughs> corner of the room, and there's a cylinder, which is illuminated by t- two different directions by a different flashlight. And yeah. in one direction, the shadow is a perfect rectangle. And in the other direction, the shadow is a perfect circle. And so much of... We, we can't understand something except through a filter of, of how we understand things. You, yeah. you, you know, it's back to Plato's The, the Cave. And... Yeah. uh or is it Aristotle? Anyway, forgive me. My, my, my Greek uh, philosophers are mixed up there. Anyway, but the allegory of the cave, that we, we're only seeing a shadow of reality, and, and perhaps we can never know more than that shadow. So if we're aware that it's a shadow, that's a powerful tool. So we can take different aspects, we can look at it from different angles. Oh, it looks like a circle this way, it looks like a sphere this way, it looks like a cylinder this way. 
Uh, so, so we begin to circle around what might be what might be uh, reality there. And I think that's what you're doing with copper, iron, and 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 vitamin A. And in some ways, you know, you're talking about the mechanisms, but really, you're talking about an ancestral diet. You're just talking right. about old fashioned eating and 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 skipping over the okay, eat liver. I know. Well, actually, I know you talk about that. But it, but in this presentation, you're talking about the mechanism of why that's important, why that's so important, and the whole the whole organ meat issue, and we'll just leave it at liver for now. Uh, it's so so incredibly important, and that part of the diet is just gone. It's just gone, mm-hmm. and you you listen to any stories of uh, uh, of traditional people or animals, and when they when they make a kill, they're not gone for the chicken wing. They're going for the guts. It's the That's most right. important thing. And there, there are stories of hunters who would sit down after a fresh kill and they would share like the intestines raw kind of thing. That's right. It's That's just, it. it's, it's unthinkable to us. I mean, my stomach turns just talking about it, but that, that's where, that's because that's where the nutrition is. The Eskimos ate the insides and fed the, the muscle meat to the dogs. Yeah. And the thing is, sausage was made with those intestines. Exactly. Actually, that's one of my ways of getting some organ meats in me, is I eat a lot of sausage. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the th- again, people, so what's important is, yes, the ancestral diet is very important, but it, but the food needs to be grown with ancestral farming practices. And that's just about impossible to get. I know it's it is just about impossible. I mean, and we're 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 on our own little farm here. We got thirty acres. Uh, we've got our own ruminants. We've got a small herd of cows, and but the land here was farmed. Uh, it used to be way back when it was pasture for sheep. Then it got shifted over to growing hops, which depleted the soil, and then it went into a traditional dairy. So they're spraying all kinds of who knows what over the years there, and. So the 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 soil that we've got here isn't isn't soil anymore, and we're we're working really hard to recover it. But you know, here we are. We're even full control, and our neighbor across the street's an organic dairy, and so forth and so on. But even we have limited access to to, to the proper. And and out my my window here, you know, we put in the onions, and we put in the the spinach, and we put in the peas for the spring. But even those foods aren't as nutritious as they possibly could be you know and even our our grass fan you know the cows out back like you know they're they're in nothing but pasture literally so they're pretty good but we we actually have a little fertility problem and so i I think i mentioned that to before so i'm I'm wondering about about the copper in in our soil here we have around here we have a lot of iron so the a lot of iron clay Matter of fact, uh, this area is known for Clinton, Clinton hematite. So Clinton's the local village, and the yeah. Clinton hematite was used to as the red dye for paint for many, many years. That that barn red color that's Clinton hematite, and so the, just natural abundance of iron around here, and lots of people who have wells, not even that deep well, like they have iron stains on their toilet just from so much iron coming up. So it's like maybe maybe we maybe we need to look into this copper sulfate. For our yeah, soil. and again, I would I would encourage you to reach out to David Crizzo in California. The guy's a genius. I'll look him very, up. Very very talented guy, and um, I think you're absolutely right that you know I'm you're in one iron capital 
world. I'm down in Louisiana, another iron capital of the world. And the, what I've learned by being here is how important the Cajun diet is, which is very rich in seafood, which historically was rich in copper. I'm not sure that that's still true, but there's a lot of pine down here. What is, what's the, one of the richest sources of vitamin C on the planet? Pine needle tea. No kidding. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the pine tree grows in iron-rich soil, but it produces a lot of vitamin C. So for the listeners who want to really go down a mind-bending uh, concept, you know, um, there is this idea of biological transmutation. That the body, that the that 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 biology has an ability to turn minerals into another form, which is very unsettling for us control freaks who want to think that we have total you know, rigid domain over things. But but the um, the, the author I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, famous uh, biochemist, when he was a nine year old boy in Normandy, France, where there is no calcium in the soil he he asked his teacher where does the calcium come from in the shells that our our chickens are laying and the science teacher at that time said stop thinking those thoughts (laughs) that's a wonderful question actually yeah and so as he got older he went into chemistry and um and he learned that there's a lot of pica in the in the um, in the soil, and the animals were converting that into calcium inside the body. And it, it, the book is called Biological Transmutations, and the cover is a Max Escher print of geese turning into fish. And it's an amazing concept to think about. Maybe our body does have this ability to morph the the nutrients that we have in our at our disposal. And, and under natural conditions, knows what do I need when and what's what's the best thing for my body, and it begins to raise all sorts of questions about you know what's happened to that natural capacity to do that. Um, and so it's just, it's just a very interesting concept that that um, farming practices need to be um, more thoughtfully executed. What, what did Sir Alan Howard? Uh, who I believe was kind of the father of organic farming, what did he promote? Rock dust. Yeah. That's what they, that's what they use in Europe. You know, they crush rock and they spray it on the soil so that the, bot, that the soil gets access to the nutrients it needs to feed the microbiota of the soil so it can help feed the plants and feed the animals. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing when you think about it. You know, that may be just the key of the whole thing is the these millions of different bacteria and fungi that's in the soil that's in our gut that's in different uh bacteria and different animal guts you know it's probably not the chicken itself transforming it's probably something in the gizzard you know that that lives there that's making the transfer i would not be surprised i don't know but that we there is this micro biome planet-wide that's doing all these transformations that's doing all these incredible transformations and uh and and everything we've done for the past 50 years has been to kill that off in the soil yeah and one of one of the the real good fortunes i went to 
um, the TFIM conference in Chicago, which was a mind-blowing conference. That's where I met Bob Miller. And then we had the good fortune of having breakfast with Stephanie Senna. Oh, brilliant. She's wonderful. Oh, my gosh, she is. Absolutely. And so she starts to talk about glyphosate. Yes. Roundup. And she introduced us into some properties that I did not know. The whole glycine thing, right? The whole glycine thing. Yeah. Well, there's 16 16 conserved glycine in ceruloplasma. Oh, wow. And I'm like, wow. And that's why, you know, being the, the... uh, the dumb boy that I can be sometimes. I said, so what does conserved mean? She said, that's actually a great question. She said, it means it has been protected generationally for thousands and thousands of generations and, and over millennia of millennia. And so these glycine are very important. Then she introduces the blockbuster. She said that, again, glyphosate was originally patented as an antibiotic. And what it what it has the capacity to do is chelate copper down to the pH of 1. It holds on to copper all the way down to the pH of 1, which is below our stomach acid, which is a frightening thought. And so it's doing that to the soil of the earth. Well, then when we are eating plants that have been sprayed with glyphosate, like they spray wheat before and after they harvest it with glyphosate, it's supposed to dry it out, right? Isn't yeah. that good? Yeah, yeah dry w- it out. Wonderful. Yeah. Better it's yield. Better yield, exactly. And so it, it is a better yield. It's a better yield for the glyphosate to suck the copper out of our biome in our soil. And then we become much more dependent on um, medications that are correcting the oxidative stress that are caused by the iron that's acting out because there's no bioavailable copper left. People have got to start connecting these dots. And again, my, my stance is pretty clear. There is no medical disease. But there is metabolic dysfunction that's caused by mineral dysregulation. And I think we have elements in our environment, unfortunately because of modern farming practices, that are creating chaos in the earth and the soil of our body, and iron is a rogue element now in our bodies, creating oxidative stress. Let me explain to the listeners why this is so important. That There's a whole class of enzymes called multi-copper oxidases. Oh man, what's he talking about now? Well, it, it turns out that we live on a planet that has oxygen. Right? Can't, can't live without it. But it also becomes a source of problems called reactive oxygen species. So we have in our body this protein called hemoglobin. And that has iron in it. And thank goodness it has that iron because that iron is what allows the hemoglobin to carry oxygen. So essentially what iron right, is in a control right, in a controlled fashion so it doesn't do damage on its way to the mitochondria. Exactly. Yeah. And so 70% of the iron in the human body is tied up in hemoglobin. And the listeners can think about the last time their doctor measured their hemoglobin as opposed to the moronic marker called ferritin. And so 
That's a very important protein in the, in the blood, hemoglobin, 70% of the iron. So basically, iron is a waiter, and it's carrying oxygen. So do we go to a restaurant for the waiters, or do we go for the chef who activates the food? Well, who's activating oxygen? There's only one class of enzymes that activates oxygen, and they're called multi-copper oxidases. Probably the most important is in complex four of the mitochondria. It's called cytochrome, little c, as in Charlie, little c, oxidase. And what does that enzyme do? <clears throat> it has several copper centers. And then what you'll read in the literature is, well, it has some heme groups. And uh, well, they're doing all the work, you know, don't you know? And it turns out that in the most recent research that I read is, the electrons don't even touch the heme groups. They're just Mother Nature uses the copper for very specific reasons. Because this copper-based enzyme does three things. It stretches the O2 bond so it can break easier. That's a big deal. So, so when we say oxygen, when you and I say oxygen, what we really mean is the dioxygen molecule. Right. It's two oxygens that are bound together. Tightly. Yeah. Partly, right. But what, what the cytochrome C oxidase does is it pulls those oxygens apart. Then it grabs four electrons from four cytochromes that are bringing electrons to complex four. And it passes them through to those oxygen so that the oxygen can become two molecules of water. And at the exact same time, it's also pumping four hydrogens into the mitochondria that go over to complex five, which is where ATP actually gets made. It's called the ATP synthase enzyme. It's magnesium dependent. And it turns out it's a little rotor that's spinning at 9,000 revolutions per minute. Most people drive cars at redline at 6,000. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's spinning at, a, at an outrageous rate. And that's one mitochondria where there might be two to 500 mitochondria in muscle cells. Right. And so the, the, the orders of magnitude of trying to comprehend what's going on is a little staggering. But the, the important point is iron is a dumbwaiter. It's carrying oxygen. And it's a, it's a blessing that it does. Just like a front lineman plays an important role on a football team. But how many front linemen get the MVP in the Super Bowl? Have you ever known a front lineman to get an MVP? No. Who gets the, who gets the MVP? Almost always. It's Tom called, Brady, for all you Patriots haters out there. <laughs> that's right. And, and, he, and he's what? Quarterback, right? Yeah, of course. Or he's the, he's the chef of the football team. And he activates the play because what does he do? He knows exactly what to do with that electron. We call it a football. He knows exactly what to do with that electron to move it forward or score points. And people have got to understand that these multi-copper oxidases are profoundly important inside the body. And when, when these multi-copper oxidases cannot completely and naturally reduce oxygen to water, 
which I would argue is the most important chemical transaction on the planet. But when the copper oxidases cannot do that completely and naturally, they create accidents with that oxygen. And those accidents with oxygen are called oxidants. Right. Free radicals. Superoxide. Superoxide. You know, but, but McKay, they're free. So have as many as you want, right? Come on, <laughs> they're free. And, and but so they're, they're radical. Morally, they're, they're radical. <laughs> we want to be radical, don't we? And, and so that's the origin of this ease. There is no disease. And what are all the pathogens living on? They're living on iron. That, that's the part that people don't seem to realize. Where, where's this microbiome or the, or the, micro, or the, the, um, the biofilms that people are still worried about? It, it's absolutely correlated with iron status. And the part that, that's confusing to people is they think they're anemic, and they spell it A-N-E-M-I-C, when I would argue they are anemic. A hyphen N-E-M-I-C. And because they don't have enough retinol in their body to spit at, they don't have the capacity to regulate the iron, which is regulated through these multi-copper oxidases. And it has profound downstream effects. So people need to understand that there is, there is this mechanism that's been around the planet for millennia of millennia called retinol, and this active form called all-trans retinoic acid, and it plays profoundly important roles. And, the, and the, the real blockbuster breakthrough was to discover that rosehip oil has retinoic acid in it. So that for the, for the vegetarian and the vegan side, there may be some very viable ways to get access to this nutrient that don't involve animals. So just well, that's that you. So the, the uh, I, I always thought of the rose hips as the vitamin C, but there's a yep. re, there's a retinol in it, huh? Exactly. Wow. Yep. And so there there are there are dimensions to this that we're just now beginning to understand. And so I think the maybe the the gist of this conversation is to get people to pause and and reflect on you know is this the full story. And what is what I'm being told on the internet or by my practitioner, the totality of knowledge about this particular nutrient, is there more to the story? Are there more biological or physiological functions than that I'm being led to believe? And I'm not trying to turn people into, into research geeks or, or physiologists, but I think we need to understand these basic functions like turning oxygen into water. It's, it is a profoundly primal aspect of how we make energy. And if we can't turn oxygen into water, then we can't make energy at a level that is optimal for our, our well-being. Now, as we wrap up, one last question from me. Well, maybe one last question. So we talk about sources of retinol, liver, High quality cod liver oil, rose hip, which is new to me. Now, in terms of the copper, like what what's a source of bioavailable copper that we can get? Because you're not going to get that in a pill, right? Yes. Or am I yes. wrong? Yeah. Yes and no. 
So um, bee pollen uh, has a very characteristic color. It, it looks like copper, but it turns out it, it does have copper. So that Mother Nature knows you can't pollinate a flower, and as you were alluding to earlier, you can't pollinate an animal without copper. And so bee pollen is part of the, the root cause protocol, not just because of its B vitamins, but it's also a source. Okay. Of- good. Okay. I've got a nice case of local bee pollen on my shelf, so I'm yeah. feeling good about that. Okay. Another rich source of copper is this, this beef liver that we keep talking about. And I've talked to over 5,000 people in the last decade. And I have a running list of 11 people now who got genuinely excited when I suggested that they eat beef liver. <laughs> but, but just to put it in perspective, I have 25 vegan clients who are eating desiccated beef liver because that's how committed they are to bringing their body back into balance. Wow. And so, the, again, it's all about the sourcing and the farming, as we've been talking about. It isn't just that it's beef liver. Is it, is it beef liver from a cow that was eating grass that was from a field that was being properly nourished? Like Joel Shalatin would say, yeah, this is, this is good grass. Right. You know, again, and you're, you're absolutely right. The eye of that needle is pretty narrow. You know, and that's the challenge is that we need to be very uh, committed to farmers markets, be very committed to supporting local farmers really go out of our way to make certain demands because they, as they know that there is a market, they will respond. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Oh, I've of seen course. It. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very, <clears throat> very important source of, of copper. Again, a, a properly raised animal, especially cow is going to have twice as much copper as it has iron. And who knew that? We didn't know that. We, we thought it was just an iron thing from the Geritol commercial. <laughs> So then the the third source is whole food vitamin C. When you get into the vitamin C molecule, as Albert Sengorgi understood it, and what what does his name mean when it's translated? It means St. George. Sengorgi is, um, he was, I think, Czechoslovakian. Um, It means St. George. What was St. George fighting? The dragon. What did the dragon have? Fire. Who's putting the fire into our body? It's called iron. I think it's very, very fitting that that uh, the, the guy who gets the Nobel Prize in 1937 for discovering vitamin C. Of course, it was for ascorbic acid. Wink, wink. <clears throat> what most people don't know is that he wrote a letter to Nature Journal a year and a half before he became a Nobel laureate, clearly stating that ascorbic acid does not cure scurvy. He said only hyaluronic acid, which was his name for the complex. So a lot of people need to dig into that one because that, there's a lot of deception around ascorbic acid, as we well know. But the point is, inside the whole food vitamin C complex, there is an enzyme called tyrosinase. And what does that tyrosinase have? When you pull back the curtain on tyrosinase, it's a three-sided pyramid with copper at all four points, one at the top and three at the base. And that becomes a very rich source of bioavailable copper 
that the body uses in many different ways. And so that tyrosinase becomes very important for uh, not just melanin formation, but for a whole host of copper enzymes all over the body. And that, that, that vitamin C complex is Mother Nature's way of helping to tame the dragon of iron toxicity. I hear the chime go off, and I realize we've been talking now for quite a while. So well, I could I could talk all day with you. I, I know you. <laughs> like, <laughs> likewise, unfortunately, we have lives to do I out, know. outside of this conversation. But we will be back for more, I promise. And let me give you the last word. Uh, if people want to hear more about your thinking, uh, if you have videos out there, where are you going to be showing up in public? Because now you're starting to. to pop out of your home in Louisiana and show up in, in public spaces these days. It's, it's fantastic. Where, where can people find you? Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. So they, uh, certainly the Magnesium Advocacy Facebook group uh, would be a, a very popular site. Uh, we, we just hit 150,000 members, okay, uh, just this week. Uh, it's very, or just this weekend, actually, when I was down in Florida with Bob Miller uh, and, and Kelly. Halderman and a Dr. whole bunch Halderman, of other, yeah. and a whole bunch of other switched on people. I was just blown away by the uh, that group. Very, very um, excited and uh, motivated group of, of practitioners. Um, but I have a new website. Uh, I'll make it easy for people. It's rcp one two three dot org. So rcp for root cause protocol. Rcp one two three dot org, and they can. Um, purchase a, a video series. It's four and a half hours of me talking with uh, Dr. Ben Edwards about the protocol, why it works, things like that. Um, for folks who, that would rather not spend the money, and that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of information that's out there on the internet, certainly on my my uh, other site, the gotmag.org site. There's a lot of uh, research articles and, and posts on iron toxicity. I've got 70 posts on iron toxicity that people can read. Uh, then they can go to YouTube, and there are literally scores and scores of, of videos of me talking, you know, with with you, Wendy Myers, uh, Rob Abbott. I mean, just a whole series of folks. Uh, Heather Dane, um, uh, Kitty Martone. I mean, I've talked to a, a lot of different folks over the years, so there's a lot of good information out there. And um, people are certainly welcome to uh, send me an email, uh, Morley Robbins at Gmail. Dot com, my first and last name at Gmail, or my cell phone is area code 847-922-8061. People always gasp when I give out my cell phone. I just they, did. <laughs> they think, oh my God, what are you doing? It, you know, the people who really need to talk to me, they they give me a call. call Most me. people, they, they send me an email and say, you know, here's what's going on. So I'm very happy to, to share that. I actually learned it from a, a hospital I used to be a hospital administrator or hospital, excuse me, hospital consultant for many years. And one of my clients was the CEO and he had his cell phone on his card. I said, dude, what are you doing? He says, he said, don't worry, Marley. He said, people know that if they're going to call me, it better be an emergency. (laughs) I've I've adopted that philosophy. Make yourself available. And the people will seem to have this awareness that, you know, I, I don't want to disturb them unless it's really, really important. So as always, uh, it's just such a delight to spend time with you and have a chance to kick these ideas around. And I, I 
I'm hopeful that it will spark even more questions that you've got, and we'll have a chance to continue the dialogue going forward. Absolutely. Morley, thank you so much. You bet. You have a great rest of the day. Okay. This was a very interesting interview, and I actually looked it up, and it is Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Okay, good. I got it right. <laughs> we had a moment of panic there. It's like, did McCabe forget his classics? Yeah. And I didn't. Yes. Aristotle did not have the Allegory of the Cave. No. Thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, share this interview with a friend. And if you really like what we're doing, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. And if you really, really like what we're doing, consider becoming a Lime Ninja patron. Just head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the Patreon link. Aurora and I fund this podcast with micro donations on Patreon.com. We prefer this method over accepting advertisements because it keeps our voice independent. No one owns us, and that's pretty rare these days. In our own small way, we're making the world a better place for people with tick-borne diseases, and your contribution helps us stay inspired and motivated to do that. Just head on over to our new homepage, www.limeninjaradio.com, and look for the Patreon link under the How Can We Help You section. It's that easy. And I'd like to welcome our newest patrons, Meredith, Molina, and Lisa. Welcome, everybody. And by the way, if you donate at the $10 level, we'll send you a copy of our Top 10 Transcripts. Yes, the Lime Ninja Top 10 Transcripts are the concentrated wisdom of three years of podcast episodes featuring experts like Dr. Richard Horowitz, the real food rebel Brenda Constantino, and the genetic nutrition expert Bob Miller. If you have any feedback for us, good, bad, ugly, send it to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Love us or hate us, just don't ignore us. Also, if you don't know your Lime score yet, do yourself a favor and head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com. Scroll down and you'll see a big red button and fill out the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. It's free. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with... The Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know, after a year-long spiritual journey, a ninja asked a hot dog vendor to make him one with everything? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.